writing things down because when I write it down it's there in real time I wrote it down sometimes I go back and read things I'm like I can't believe I wrote that down but it's there it's black and white now I have to deal with it and the only way I know how to deal with it is say Lord you know I have a covetous heart Lord you know I'm never satisfied it's never enough Lord you know that I am not content with what you have given me and it's always more it's to fight for more and our culture is bent on it so Lord change me The world around us tells us time and again how important it is to have things. What we own is never enough. We must go bigger, better, and faster to be seen as doing well. This leads to a sense of covetousness, as Pastor Daniel discusses today. And this is dangerous. When we recognize our desire for worldly things, especially those that belong to another, it's a great time to get alone and talk with God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel as he continues with his message, The Big Ten. It all drives us to covetousness. It all drives us to say, what God has given me is not enough, and I need another one. Don't miss the fact that with our technology... It's like right as you get the newest iPhone, and I like the iPhone just like the next guy, but sure enough, the next one comes out, and that thing can go do slow-mo video, and they can do this, and it's thinner, and it's cooler, and it's got a 97,000 megapixel camera. Do you remember when we had like a one megapixel camera? We thought it was so cool. Like it wasn't like you got to take the film, and you got to drop it off at the drugstore, and it comes back like a week later, and half the pictures are lousy. It's like now it's like just a hard drive. I remember the first memory card I had was like 12 megabytes. I think you put like four pictures on it. And now it's like this thing is crazy. And every time there's always the next one because your old phone is never good. It's like six months later, it's not good anymore. And if we don't check ourselves, this thing's wrecking us. It really is. Because every single person is always, this isn't good enough, and this isn't good enough. And then it goes into relationships. And my husband isn't handsome enough, or my wife isn't cute enough, and we don't make enough money. And there's this whole thing that goes on, which is in direct violation of the 10th commandment. You and I, like the Apostle Paul, need to learn how in all ways to be content. And let's be honest, we're lousy at being content. Our entire economy and culture is driven on nothing is good enough. I never get enough. It's always a little bit more. Give me a little bit more. A little bit more money. A little bit more of this. A little bit more of that. And it drives us and it's all flesh, my friends. It's flesh. And I got to call it what it is because our Bibles tell us what it is. It says, you shall not covet not only your neighbor's wife, because that's your neighbor's wife. You should covet your own wife. You got more than enough in your own house, but also not only that, but their house. You ever hear the idea of keeping up with the Joneses? Now, I never met the Joneses, but it happens, right? Like all of a sudden you go to someone's house and they got a marble countertop. You're like, I like a marble countertop. Or they have a manicured lawn or they took their lawn out. They put rocks down. You're like, that sounds great. Don't have to mow that thing. Sounds good. 
Right? And then before you know it, it's like you're taking that step because you're not saying, God, thank you for what you've given me. See, at the heart of covetousness is saying, God, you haven't done a good job by me. And that's a problem, isn't it? What are you coveting today? No, we never call it that. We never call it that. And that's the problem. See, you notice that with the way the Bible defines sin, our culture wants to lessen everything. That we want to not call it what it is. Like our Bible says, don't commit adultery. Like it's just a little flirting, right? It's, you shall not steal. Well, you know, the government really doesn't need it. So I just cheat a little bit on my taxes. So for us, it's just like, look, I'm allowed to enjoy what I got. And you are. But God's concerned with our hearts. And what's in our hearts drives the entire equation. What are you coveting right now? What is the thing that you're not content with. Oftentimes for people in their relationships, if you're single, you're not content to be a single person. If you're married, you're not content to be a married person. See, what I found is that the covetous heart, no matter what the details are, it's still never satisfied. You get the brand new house or the bigger house and right as you get it, there's still a bigger house to get. Oh, I should have gotten a 10,000 square foot lot instead of a 7,000 square foot lot. I should have gotten five acres instead of two and a half. I should have gotten 27 acres with four houses on it and a stable. (laughs) And I can't believe I bought the television because now there's this 4K thing. I don't even know what that is, but I need that. And you see how it goes. And you look at your spouse and you're like, man, they're getting weirder looking every day. My grandma, you gotta love my, I have, my family's super fun. So my grandpa just turned, I told you guys, he turned, my grandpa just turned 92. And I'm like, grandma, how's grandpa doing? She's like, I'm gonna trade him in for 250s. <laughs> and like, who knows what that actually means? You know what I mean? But and my grandpa, they've been married for so long that my grandpa just smiles and she's like, yeah, yeah. I trade me in for 250s too, you know? <laughs> The word covet in the Hebrew literally means to pant after it. It's what the word literally means. And it works something like this. Your eyes look upon an object. Your mind admires that object. The will goes over to that object. And the body moves to possess that object. That's pretty much the flow of it. You see it. Once you see it, your mind beholds it, then your will is engaged to get it and your body does what the will wants. That's how it works. This is the Hebrews 13, five. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you notice how strange that verse is? I'm gonna read it again because the grounding reason not to covet is not what we would expect. It doesn't say, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have because you have enough or the stuff you have is good. What's the grounding clause? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, the grounding clause that does battle against our own heart's covetousness is the presence of the almighty God. 
Not what you have, or if it's a nice thing, or a big thing, or a shiny thing, or a new thing. It's the fact that God is here, right here, right now. And he promised that no matter where you find yourself, he is there. What a powerful grounding clause that is. You could say, be happy with what you got. You got enough. No, he's like, I'm here. Listen to Jesus, Luke twelve fifteen. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. There used to be that bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. Remember that one? And then there was the uh, snarky follow-up to that. He who dies with the most toys is still dead. (laughs) And my pastor used to always say, Pastor John Henry used to always say, and you never see a U-Haul hitched to the back of a hearse. Which is a great reminder. Like, when you die, it all stays. Your kids will fight over it. Even if they never fought about it. When you dead, it didn't matter all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying don't enjoy it. I'm just saying we need to guard our hearts against covetousness because out of the 613 commandments, God wrote 10 with his own finger. And the 10th one of that is don't covet. So, do you think it matters? Yes. Why does it matter? Because if you spend your time coveting, beholding, letting your will be giving over to it, and figuring out how to get it, then it takes you away from doing a whole lot of other stuff that you're probably supposed to be doing. And for many of us, we, I mean, we live in a day and age of credit card debt. The last 20 or so years, it's been a big thing. Because what that does, that gives us the opportunity to spend beyond our means. And then once you spend beyond your means, what happens? Then you spend the rest of your life trying to get out of credit card debt. And so we have to do battle against the covetousness in our own hearts. Jesus said to beware of it. The writer of the Hebrews told us to beware of it. And it's in the Ten Commandments. So my encouragement for each one of us is even in your journal as you're writing or on your notepad on your phone or whatever, write down the things that you struggle with in regards to covetousness. And begin to pray about it. You know what I found? When we're willing to be honest and truthful about where we struggle, and we give it to the Lord, the Lord begins to heal us. See, for most of us, we're not willing to write it down. We're not willing. See, I like writing things down because when I write it down, it's there in real time. I wrote it down. Sometimes I go back and read things. I'm like, I can't believe I wrote that down. But it's there. It's black and white. Now I have to deal with it. And the only way I know how to deal with it is say, Lord, you know I have a covetous heart. Lord, you know I'm never satisfied. It's never enough, Lord. You know that I am not content with what you have given me. And it's always more. It's to fight for more. And our culture is bent on it. So, Lord, change me. Do a heart work in my life. Do a work in me. And when that happens, now you're making space in your world to let the true and living God do what only the true and living God can do, which is radically transform a life. So give the Lord the room to deprogram the covetousness that we have in our hearts because of the fall, because of our culture, and because of our own garbage. Now look at what it says in verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Now this is that kind of that 
summary statement that we get all through the Torah, the first five books, where Moses is saying, look, this is the words that God spoke to the assembly. And he reminds them that on Mount Sinai, there was all of these cataclysmic happenings. It was not only God speaking, but there was fire and there was darkness and there was all this things that were going on. Because oftentimes the presence of God is accompanied by other signs as well. And he just reminds them that God didn't add any more to this, and he gave them in tablets to Moses. So Moses reminded him, look, this is how I got them, and I gave them to the people. Now, in verse 23, so it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of the tribes and your elders, and you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, verse 25, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord your God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words, which you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of the people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Verse 30, go and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and statutes and judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Therefore, you shall be careful to do all the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Now, when God spoke to the children of Israel and when God revealed his law, you notice that the heart's response of the people was a heart of fear. They realized that the true and living God speaking to them was a terrifying thing. And they're like, listen, who does the true and living God speak to? And they still live. And so they're like, listen, God's speaking to you. And we want you to function as a mediator for us. And they're acknowledging Moses' special function for that generation that he would act as an intermediary for the people. Now, what's amazing is they say, listen, you go, like, they're like saying, look, you take all the risks, Moses. We don't really want to be consumed and we really don't want to be in the middle of this. So you got this, bud, and you do it and okay. And what's amazing is, is that the Lord comes and speaks to Moses and says, you know what? They're right. It's like, they're right. He's like, it's a good thing that they're asking. So yeah, I'm going to speak to you and I want you to speak to them. And you notice there's a, tinge of lament in God's voice in verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them 
that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. See, the children of Israel actually got it right that they should fear the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Now, we could bake it down and say the biggest struggle we have is that we don't fear God. And the question is, is how do we grow and learn how to enjoy fearing God? See, the Lord knew, he knew that the children of Israel were a rebellious bunch. How does God know that? Because God knows all of us. Do you think it would be different if God showed up here in the Crossroads Chapel? We would be struck with fear at the presence of God, but do you think that God wouldn't say, oh yeah, you know, they're all so not rebellious? No. We're all rebels. That's the gospel message. And so... What's interesting is God knew that the children of Israel, they were rebellious. And what's interesting is that he allowed Moses to function as a mediator for them. But don't miss the fact that functioning as a mediator for the children of Israel also kept Moses from the promised land. Because Moses was a rebel too. Now, I want to apply this for us. Because the Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man. Who is that? The man, Christ Jesus. See, Jesus, Jesus takes that mediatorial role. Jesus is the new and better Moses. Because Moses functioned as a mediator, but he couldn't bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Jesus functioned as the mediator, and he brings all of us into the promised land and also makes us acceptable to be in the presence of God. But you know what happens? It's very easy for people to say, You know, we're going to let the pastors press into the presence of God. We're going to let the leaders do it. And we're going to let them get the word from God, and then they can come share it with us. Because you know what? It's a little bit too much work. And I think that misses the finished work of Jesus in a major way. Do you realize, my friends, the Spirit of God dwells in you in the same way he dwells in the anointed whatever who you really like listening to? Do you realize that God speaks in a still, small voice to you? In the Reformation, they call it the priesthood of all believers. Because what they realize is that you didn't need to go to the priest to get the interpretation of God's word. All of us have the same spirit of the living God in us if we are born again. And so, brothers and sisters, don't let somebody else chew your food for you. Chew your own food. Now, you might say, well, so we not, should we not come to church? We not, you know, you're a good teacher, Fusco. We really enjoy what God's doing. Listen, God has given to the church pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists and prophets for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But each one of us has the ability to hear the voice of God. In some ways, I get blessed I get to do this because I got to dig in God's word every day. I got to dig in. I'm Lord, what does it mean? What does this mean, Lord? And I have to do all that work because I want to explain it to you. But at the same time, When you rake, you get leaves, and when you dig, you get diamonds. And I believe God wants you to dig on your own. God wants you to be a person of the word. God wants you to be like, Lord, what does this mean? How does this work? And do all the heavy lifting. Because you know what I found? In the lessons that someone has taught me, 
Some of them stick, but the lessons that God has taught me himself are the ones that are the most personal. And I want to invite you to not say, you know, it's kind of scary and risky, and so I don't really want to do it. I'm going to let Fusco do it. I'll let Pastor Bill do it. I'll let this person do it or that person do it. I want you to say, I want to do it. And I want you to dig in because Jesus is the mediator. And don't miss the fact that when Jesus said it is finished and he breathed his last breath, what happened in the temple? That veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, it tore top to bottom. And really what that signifies is come on in. You don't have to be separated. Come on in because Jesus conquering sin and death finishes the work so that you and I are invited in behind the veil into the holy of holies to where the tangible, visible presence of God dwells. God is inviting us into that. And I don't want you to be willing just to let Moses of some sort be in there. You want to be where the action is at. And I believe that God wants you to be right where the action is, which is in his presence at the throne of grace. So will you, my friends, press in? Will you say, God, I want to hear your still small voice. God, I want to understand your word. God, I'm going to read like I've never read before. And I'm going to journal. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to do some research. And I'm going to figure this stuff out. And I'm going to keep coming to church and I'm going to serve at church because I want to get this information not into my brain, but I wanted to make that endless 18-inch journey from my brain to my heart. And not only do I want to land in my heart, I want to get out to my hands and my feet and my mouth. Don't be willing to let somebody else do the heavy lifting. God wants to grow all of us up in our most holy faith. And don't miss the fact that God's way of growing us up is not just what we believe, but how we allow what we believe to drive the way that we live. Nobody is saved by the works that they do. But all of us are saved unto the works that God has prepared for us. And I love this because the children of Israel, notice what it says in verse 32. It says, therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. God gives us the things to believe so that we would have an understanding on how we ought to live. Every time you hear God's word, you just say, what does this teach me about God? And what does this teach me about me and how God wants me to live? And then say, Lord, give me the spirit and the grace to walk in it. That our lives may experience all the blessings that God has for us. And those blessings are found in us following the way of the Lord taking the truths that we know and living them out inspired by the Spirit of God. Jesus is real. God gave us His law to explain how He desires us to live. We won't follow it perfectly, but that's why we have a Savior. 
Pastor Daniel today wrapped up his study on the Ten Commandments, reminding us to tune our hearts towards God's will and God's ways. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. God has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel moves on with his study in Deuteronomy, telling us why it's necessary to study the law today. Though Jesus came and fulfilled it, God's law still stands as a guide to how we should live. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, Refresh. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. 